Well, good morning, church. Uh, let me add to Jackie's welcome. It's great to have you here with us this morning, or if you're watching this later in the week, it's great to have you with us at church this week. And really pray that you've had a great week and uh, are using this time to, to reconnect with a few people that you haven't been able to, uh, maybe some people in the church, um, encouraging one another and, and spending some time together. Maybe this morning you are hosting someone at your home. Maybe you've got someone around watching church together. Uh, and can I encourage you that if you feel comfortable and if you, if you are ready to do that, that even for next week, why don't you invite a family, a friend, someone over and uh, do church together at home. Uh, we can't be together, all together, but at least we can be with up to five people in our home. And so that's a great opportunity to, to practice church at home. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd encourage you to do that if you feel comfortable. Well, we're going to continue our series this morning in Philippians. We're up to week five, and next week we'll wrap up our series. Uh, we've been talking about this journey to joy that Paul um, goes on through Philippians. Uh, joy comes as we look at our life through Jesus, rather than looking at Jesus through our life. As we look at that lens uh, and look through that lens of Jesus and the salvation he gives, the the hope that he gives, all the things he's done for us and all the things he is, as we look at life through that lens, we have joy no matter the circumstance. Uh, we've looked at the idea of humility, of serving others and, and not grumbling and arguing. And last week we talked about this idea that our journey to joy is made complete by those we journey with. And the two examples we looked at last week were Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, Timothy, who served others and was really humble in the way he loved other people he thought of others more than he thought of himself. Epaphroditus was a great example in his faith in risking his life and, and um, not valuing his life more than he valued um, the, the kingdom of God and the purposes of God in his life. This morning we're going to continue and we're going to read Philippians 3 and we're going to see some of Paul's own example. Uh, so he's pointed out some examples of other people and now he's going to sort of give us a bit of his own testimony, his own life. And so let's read that together. Philippians 3, verse 1. I'm going to read all the way to verse 1 of chapter 4. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of 
by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the price the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are forced, focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject, him, subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it is life to us. It is encouraging to us. It is challenging for us. God, it is the roadmap in which we are to live. And God, we pray this morning that you would help us to see the glory of Jesus. You would help us to hear the voice of your spirit. And you would transform us uh, as you desire into the likeness of Jesus. God, use this morning... To, to accomplish your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the week, my, my wife bought a soil tester. She's a bit of a fanatic when it comes to indoor plants, and I fear the addiction is getting worse and worse as the weeks go on, especially in isolation. Um, but nonetheless, she bought a soil tester and she sticks it in all the pots. It takes her about six hours to get around all the pots in the house and test no, I'm joking. It, it takes a little while um, to get around and she puts it in and it measures too, too moist, too dry, uh, perfect. Um, and it just fascinates me that, you know, we have a gauge for testing soil and we have gauges for testing the rainfall. We have gauges for testing um, the, the temperature of the air. We, we measure so many things. I mean, even if you're going to the gym, obviously... I haven't been doing that recently, but if you go to the gym, you, you measure your bicep curls, you know, you're writing down how much weight you're lifting, how, how many, you know, 1,001, 1,002, how many curls you're doing. Um, we're measuring our weight all the time, we're stepping on the scales. Our, our society and our culture is, is fascinated with measuring things. We're always comparing from yesterday to today. What's the increase? What's the decrease? What's the change? What's the graph look like? Don't we all love a good graph? We love to measure, we love to gauge things. If things are improving or if they're declining, we just want to know. I mean, we've all been talking about over the last couple of months, flattening the curve. We just want to measure the cases. We want to see the, the improvement, and rightly so. There's nothing wrong with measuring. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our walk with God, how do we measure? What gauge do we use to work out from day to day if it's increasing or decreasing, improving or declining? What gauge do we use? I want to suggest this morning that uh, maybe a great gauge that we could use is our joy levels. Our joy in Jesus is a great way to gauge how things are going. If you like, the barometer of our faith could be our joy. Right at the start of this chapter, Paul says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. 
to write to you again is no trouble for me and it is a safeguard for you. Paul says, for you to rejoice in the Lord, it is safe for you to do so. There is a safety in having joy in the Lord. It is safe for your faith. It is good for you. You know, I was reading through the week about canaries and coal mines. Uh, and, and back you know, hundreds of years ago and before they had uh, abilities to, to measure methane and carbon monoxide in, in coal mines underground, they would send a canary down with the miners, with the workers, because a canary had the ability to detect air quality um, much quicker than the humans. And so if the canary was down there and he was chirping away and singing, uh, everything was good, it was all safe. But as soon as that canary stopped chirping and stopped singing, they knew that it was getting dangerous. The carbon dioxide might asphyxiate them or the methane might explode. And so they had to quickly get out of that mine. Because those gases, you couldn't smell it, you couldn't see it. Um, you just were suddenly over, overwhelmed by it uh, and then you would die. And there was cases of that was happening to different mines and miners. And I think it can be similar in our, in our faith. The things that creep in, we don't detect straight away until one day we go, where is my faith gone? Where is my faith? Where is my walk with God gone? But I think joy can be that barometer for us. Joy can be like that chirping canary in our life. When we have joy, when it's welling up within us, we know that our faith is strong, it's good. Because joy protects us from religion. When we get stuck in the religious activities of walking with God, joy goes away. We're just doing things because we have to or because we ought to. We're not doing it because we want to. There's not, a, there's not a joy that comes from serving. There's not a joy that comes from that activity. And joy protects us from temptation. Because when we uh, find our joy in God, the things that tempt us away from that seem insignificant compared to the joy that we find in Jesus. It's like when you have a, a Christmas lunch or a Christmas dinner. Uh, after eating all that food, someone says, well, do you want uh, a banana? It's like, oh, I couldn't eat another thing. You can't tempt me with something when I'm already full of food. And when we're full of God's joy, the temptations that Satan might throw our way just seem, I, I couldn't do it. I can't do it because I'm full of the joy of God. And so this joy protects us from religious activity which will dry us up in our walk with God and it protects us from sin which will tempt us away from walking with Jesus altogether. So when, we are, when our joy in Jesus is there, it helps us walk um, with great faith in the things that God has for us. And here Paul through chapter 3, I want to, I want to look at how, how Paul gets his joy as he looks back on his life, at his, as he looks at his present day situation and as he looks forward into the future. Paul finds joy in all these different circumstances through all these different lenses. So the first uh, little section I want to look at is verses 2 to 11 of chapter 2. And Paul is uh, looking back. And I want to look at this idea that he's counting, he's measuring something here as he looks back. When Paul looks back at his spiritual accomplishments, it means nothing to him. He looks back and he sees, I was the best of the best. I was devout in following the rules of doing all the things that I should do but I don't put any confidence in the flesh I don't put any confidence in that verse 3 it says for we are the circumcision the ones who worship by the spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh 
I mean, there's so much going on in these verses and we don't have time to go into it, but Paul is basically pushing back on those that say that Gentiles must be circumcised to be really in the faith. He's saying that circumcision is not needed in the flesh, but rather it is a matter of faith. And you can see there's plenty of places where it talks about this as well in Romans 2, Romans 4, 1 Corinthians and Galatians. Paul looks um, at the highlights of his life. He looks at all these things that he's doing well and, and the things that he could point to and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going okay with God or yeah, I'm, I'm close with God or yeah, my faith is good. He looks at all that and says, it's rubbish. It's not worth counting. It's not worth holding on to. What's worth holding on to is my salvation in Jesus. When we look at our life up until this point, we might think about the things we've done, the things we haven't done. We might think about the experiences we've had or haven't had and conclude from that where we stand with God. We might think, oh, I've grown up in church or I've served in this ministry or I've read my Bible this many times or I've prayed this many times. And we might conclude from counting all those different events and experiences and things, this is therefore where I stand with God. And the enemy would love for us to count this way because he knows if we can count that way, then our salvation and our joy is really dependent on us. It's dependent on our activity, our ability to to keep up with the rules, to keep up with the standard. And Paul says, that's not the way to count. That's not the way to look back on your life. He says uh, in verse 7 to 8, everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. And that word dung could be, I mean, there could be much stronger language that that would be translated in, but uh, perhaps we wouldn't be able to handle that uh, in our Christian culture today. But regardless, what do we count when we look back? What do we look at? Do we look at things like how long we've been reading the Bible for? How much we've been praying? How many teams we serve on? How long we've been in them? How many people we've led to Jesus? How many sins we've committed or haven't committed? Do we look back and count those things and try to weigh them up as like a a balance and go, well, I must be doing well because every day this week I've been reading my Bible. Or this week I'm not doing so well because I haven't been reading my Bible. And from that we gauge where our faith is at. When we look back and count like this, rarely does it bring us joy. And even if it does bring us joy, it can be very quickly taken away from us. It can be very quickly taken away if, if that number is low, if it's not an improvement on the week before. Joy is not found in religious activity, but in rejoicing in what Jesus has already done and who he is. When we count back and consider Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ our Saviour, it will bring us joy that we have been redeemed. All sin has been forgiven. All sin has been redeemed and we have been made right before God. The good, the bad, all of it has been made right. Even in Isaiah it says our righteous acts like filthy rags before God. Even the good things that we do are are not worth counting towards our, our redemption in Jesus. It's all done. It's all rubbish. It's all not worth counting. Only Jesus and his salvation is worth counting. And when we do that, it brings joy to us that we have been redeemed. We have been saved. So Paul looks back and he counts Jesus. That's what he looks at. 
Jesus and his redemption, his forgiveness on his life. And then in his present, he uses this idea of pressing. In verse 12, Paul goes on and, and talks about this idea of winning the race. And, you know, when Paul was writing this, there was um, the Olympics and the, the Greek sort of games and events that were going on. And the race that he's talking about could either be a foot race or a chariot race. Um, some scholars lean towards the, the chariot race idea because of the, the words that he uses, this idea of, of pressing forward and leaning forward. Because when you're on a chariot, you're standing on this platform with two wheels and holding on for, I imagine, dear life. It's like a Segway, but you're controlled by a horse. And you've got to lean forward to, to keep you balanced. And that's the, the sort of the image that Paul is using here is he's pressing on, he's leaning forward, he's in a race as so to win. The thing with these races and these, um, these Olympics or these games was that to, to enter or to be involved in the race, you had to be a, a Greek citizen. That was the way you got in. If you weren't a Greek citizen, then you couldn't get in the race. But as soon as you're a Greek citizen, you are um, able to get in the race, providing you are you know, qualifying and all that sort of thing. Um, but the same idea happens here in our walk with God, that this idea of, of, of running the race or pressing in or, or trying harder or striving in our walk with God is not so much so to, to be in the race, but it's, it's when we're in the race and we're in the race because of we're redeemed, as we've just looked at. Jesus has saved us and he's made us a citizen. He's made us in the family of God. And so because we're in the family, because we're in the race, we now press on, we press forward, we lean forward into what God has for us. And our performance in the race doesn't determine whether we're a citizen or not. You know, if someone has a bad race and they lose, it doesn't mean they're not a citizen. It doesn't mean they get kicked out. It just means that they haven't achieved what they could have achieved. They didn't reach their potential as a citizen. So we don't lean in and try hard to be saved. We're already in. We're already in. We race for the reward. We strive to win. We live um, a life that brings glory to Jesus and one that makes disciples of those around us. Paul writes here in verse 12, not that I've already reached the goal or, or an, am already perfect. You know, if, Paul, if there was any reason or anyone who could say, you know, I've made it, I've, I'm doing all right, I'm, I'm where I should be, it was Paul. But Paul here has a very sobering view of himself and his walk with God. He says, I'm not perfect. I've got more to do. I've got this. I've got more racing to do. I've got to strive harder. You know, Paul doesn't compare himself to the people around him, but rather he just compares himself with himself and with Jesus. And when, when he does that, it, it spurs him to, to keep on going, to press in harder. If Paul was to compare himself with those around him, he could easily just rest back on his laurels and say, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good, actually, compared to a lot of these other people around me. I'm okay. I can just sit here in the sweet spot and, and cruise on through. But he doesn't do that. He presses forward. And for us, when we look around at our, at our world and our life and we see other Christians, other people walking with Jesus, and we can look at those that maybe are further behind us in their walk with Jesus and think, well, compared to them, I'm doing okay, so I'm just going to sit here and cruise. Or we can look ahead and go, oh, look at that person, they're doing so well, and, and be discouraged and give up. 
but rather when we just look at ourselves and our own standing before God and we look at Jesus and his example for us, we go, I can continue to press forward. I can continue to press forward. You know, we live, Paul is encouraging us to, um, for us to live in a way where we're not satisfied with our current selves. We're secure in our salvation, but we're not satisfied with our, our sanctification, if you like. We're, we're dissatisfied with our conduct and our, and, our, and our standing before God, and we always want to, to love God more, to bring more glory to him, to love others better, to serve others more. We keep running, we keep praying, we keep loving, we keep serving, we keep reaching people. We strive like an athlete trying to win a race. Not in competition with others, but with everything we have. If an athlete is in a race and they're trying to win, they're not running and then sitting back and going, oh, I'll take a break for a minute. They're they're exuding everything they have. They're putting every ounce of energy, every ounce of determination, every bit of their focus into winning that race. Run to win. You know, and and the other thing I love about this picture is that um, an athlete doesn't just look the part. An athlete doesn't just dress up, get on the, on the chariot, hold onto the horse and go, wow, look at me, I'm in a race. They have, to, they have to strive, they have to train, they have to be disciplined, they have to be determined to win the race. You know, we live in a bit of a, a fashion culture at the moment where it's cool just to wear active wear, even if you're not being active. And maybe this morning, if you're sitting there on the couch in your active wear, great on you. Um, but, you know, that's not, that's not the idea. It's not just to dress up, wear the right sort of things, do the right sort of Christian activities, come to church, pray, lift your hands a certain way and worship. It's not about, Paul's not saying look like an athlete. He's saying live like an athlete. Put everything you have, every every bit of resource, every bit of time, every bit of your energy, of your focus into winning this race. Having this one thing, this one direction, this determination, this discipline like an athlete. So Paul looks back. He counts Jesus. He counts on his redemption through the blood of Jesus. He presses on in his present day and then he looks forward. He has this future lens in which he looks forward through. And he talks about this citizenship in heaven. The key verse here is verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's talking about this idea of citizenship. You know, citizens... Um, if you're a citizen of a nation, you have a recorded birth in that nation, like your name is written down and um, you have a, a birth certificate for that nation. And it's, it's the same thing in heaven. Our names are written down. We are citizens of heaven. You know, when you're a citizen of a nation, there's a certain language, there's a certain way you speak. And again, when we're citizens of heaven, it changes the way we speak. It changes the way we, we live. There's, there's laws that we obey. There's cultures that we observe. And we're loyal to that country. We're loyal to that king. And when we look forward to heaven in this way, and when we realise that we're citizens of heaven and we're aliens on this earth, we remember whose we are. We speak the right words to ourselves and to the others around us. We live like citizens of heaven, bringing glory to Jesus, living a life full of faith. We're single-minded. We live for King Jesus alone. When we're heavenly-minded, we live the right way on earth. We live out the purposes that God has for us. You know, there's a, a famous quote by D.L. Moody, and he says, um, don't be so heavenly-minded that you are no earthly good. 
and I agree with it in its um, in the sense that you know we don't want to be mystical. We don't want to be so mystical and and um, detached from our world that we're no earthly good. But I think when we're heavenly minded in the right sense, when we're heavenly minded the way Paul was, when when we realise that that's the goal, that's where we want to be, that's what we're made for, that's where we're going. When we're heavily minded in the right sense, then we'll be the goodest on earth that we could ever be. I don't know if I'll ever quote that in the future, but um, when we're heavily minded in the right sense, it will make us live in the, the best way possible on earth. We'll live out the purposes that God has for us. So we're not so heavily minded that we're mystical and out of our minds. We're heavily minded in the sense that we understand where our citizenship lies, that we're aliens on earth that we live like earth is temporary and heaven is forever. We're not setting up our forever home here. We're living like our forever home is in heaven. We're storing up treasures in heaven. So the encouragement this morning is to look back and count yourself as forgiven, made right with God through what Jesus has done. Press on with today like an athlete, like you're striving to win a prize, like you're living for Jesus with all that you have. You can't get disqualified from the race because of your performance. You can't get taken out because you're a citizen. You're saved. You're redeemed. Press on with determination, with discipline, with focus, with direction. And look forward to heaven as a citizen. Keep that lens in everything that you do. And as we do this, as we look back, as we press on, as we look towards the future, with these lenses, we will encounter the joy that is safe for us the joy that won't be taken away from us, the joy that will enable us to keep living in faith and keep seeing people come to Jesus, to keep being the witness to those around us. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the joy that we can find in Jesus. We thank you that the joy that we find in Jesus is safe for our faith. And God, I pray this morning for those that and maybe feeling like there's no joy in their walk with you. Maybe they've stepped into a routine of religious activity, or maybe they've been tempted away by sin and by the pleasures of this world. God, I pray that whatever their circumstance, you bring them back to Jesus, that they would find their redemption, their salvation in you, that they would look back and just count on that forgiveness, that they would press on with today like an athlete, and they would look forward into the future as a citizen of heaven. And God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our church, for all that you're doing through uh, this town and this region, for the way you're drawing people into relationship with you. And we pray that you would use us however you want, in whatever way you want. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us again this morning, church. I want to invite you to stick around and join us for our Zoom after party. Uh, it would be great to see some of you there. We'll see you next week otherwise.